0: In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I mean, like it was kind of cold walking up this morning. You know, we'd spend so much time, you know, complaining about the heat. Now, oh gosh, it's too cold. One of the things I have loved uh, the most, really, since coming back from sabbatical has been preaching on the parables of jesus Um, my second week back i preached on the parable of the unforgiving servant and then it was the laborers in the vineyard and then last week it was the parable of the two sons remember one says he'll go to the vineyard but he doesn't go and the other one says he's not going but he ends up going parables are challenging Uh, and i think actually they've gotten more challenging uh, each week and it's tempting uh, to think that parables are like Jesus's sermon illustrations you know like when I give you a sermon illustration I might tell you a story or I tell you and ex- uh, give you an example of something and then you know I've explained some theological concept but I tell that story and you think oh that's it now it makes perfect sense my preacher is so sm- I mean my god is so good and um and i uh, so sermon illustrations we you want to make those make those sense uh easier and it's tempting to think that's what the parables are like uh, that jesus is telling us a story to make us understand but i want to say typically parables are not like that now, which is why when you read a parable you might think what is he talking about and if you think it's supposed to make it easier but it actually confuses things for you then it might be discouraging Uh, for you and discourage you from reading the bible but don't be discouraged because parables are hard parables are not like sermon illustrations they're much more like coconuts like the sweet stuff's in there but you got to get through some hard stuff to get to it and this parable the parable of the wicked tenants, has been a tough coconut to crack and i hope you know, I just as an aside, I hope that's encouraging to you. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've, I've been to seminary. I, I make a living doing this. I, I've read this parable hundreds of times. I've preached on the pe- parable before. And plenty of times when I read Scripture, I have to wrestle with it. And plenty of times when I read Scripture, it wrestles with me. And that's part of the process. And sometimes scripture's hard to understand. So don't just quit trying and go watch Yellowstone instead. Right? Just, it's in the wrestling. It's in the wondering. It's in the rereading it from different angles that we get closer to Jesus. So, the parable of the wicked tenants. And it picks, picks up right where we left off last week in Matthew's Gospel. And if you remember, we are in the last... Week of Jesus's life before the cross. Now the disciples don't know it, but Jesus knows it, and he is not playing it safe, right? He he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, essentially making a prophetic claim to be the Messiah. And then he rode right to the temple, and he starts interrupting the commerce in the temple by flipping over the tables uh, of the money changers and running off the ones who were selling animals for sacrifice. And the common people are eating it up. And the chief priests and the elders of the temple are not happy about it. They're not happy about any of them, right? And they, remember, they approach Jesus and say, by what authority are you doing these things? And what they mean is, who do you think you are? Marching in here like this. We're the authorities, not you. That's what they mean. And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He's not ignoring the question. He just doesn't answer it. Instead, he gives them these parables, and it just kind of leaves them confounded. And in fact, madder than they were before. But if they were to stop, if they were to wrestle With it, they might see that underneath that hard coconut shell, there's a pretty sweet invitation inside. But the shell, on the outside of the parable of the wicked tenants, is very hard. So, this is the third vineyard parable in three weeks. And just like the last two weeks, the landowner is God. The vineyard is where the Lord's people do the Lord's work. Only in this case, the ones who are doing the landowner's work are not returning to the landowner what is rightfully his. Like, they must be doing the work, they're producing the fruit, but they're serving themselves, they're keeping the grapes. The landowner is oddly, unnervingly patient, sending servant after servant calling the tenants to give the fruits to the landowner. Now, the mistreated servants are uh, to represent the prophets that God has sent throughout the centuries, calling in vain for his people to turn back to him. And so finally, the landowner sends his son. And we know good and well, reading this parable, that the same thing is going to happen to the son that happened to the servants. And so do the priests and the elders who are listening to Jesus tell the story. But it now Jesus must have been some kind of storyteller because they are so into the story that it, it, they're listening. But it hadn't quite dawned on them yet that they are the wicked tenants in the story, nor that they are the ones that are that Jesus is the son that they're going to kill. They hadn't figured that out yet. So before they can stop the words from coming out of their mouth, they shout out that landowner should put those wretches to a miserable death and get good tenants. They've taken the bait. right? They've called for their own condemnation. The proverbial coconut has fallen and cracked them on their own proverbial heads man, Jesus was a good storyteller. But if, if that was all Jesus said, then we'd just be left with a hard coconut. Don't be like the wicked tenants that keep the grapes and kill the messengers. Be like the new tenants, the good tenants that give the landowner his fruit. And that would be good advice. And it might even make for a good stewardship sermon. And we would then probably pat pat ourselves on the back for being a lot more like the good tenants. And we'd move on blissfully throughout our week. Until about Tuesday afternoon, maybe Wednesday. When for some reason that we can't explain, something we heard on a podcast makes us start thinking about these wicked tenants just a little bit more. I mean, sure, in the terms that Jesus tells the story, they sound awful. But then in a moment of unusual introspection, I begin to wonder, have I ever not been totally faithful with what the Lord has entrusted to me? I mean, have I always upheld my end of the contract? Have I ever withheld Anything for myself that I might should have given to the Lord. I mean, maybe it was money, but maybe it was, maybe it was time. Maybe it was trust through a hard season. Maybe I withheld kindness that I should have given to another person. Or forgiveness. Have, have I ever, like these tenants, done the work but kept it for myself? At the cathedral in Alabama where I served previously, the title of senior warden, which is you know the sort of head of the vestry, the body of lay people, the title of senior warden was coveted. It was like it was a point of pride throughout the city, much like it is here at Church of Our Savior, and um, and you could only be. Uh, you could only be senior warden once, and then you retired to the council of senior wardens emeriti. And, and there was one year while I was there where there were several very good candidates uh, among the vestry to become the next senior warden, and the dean of the cathedral didn't he didn't want to pick, and so he did what we do a lot of times he put names the names of the candidates in a hat and he and he drew one out. Uh, But he he let him know what he was doing. He did it in front of the vestry. And he got an email. It was a long email from one of the names that didn't get drawn, who felt that he should have been selected. And in that long email, he listed every committee that he had ever served in, every ministry that he had ever served in uh, for the last 28 years. And one line of that email stood out. It was something like, I feel like everything I've been working for for the last 28 years has been ruined by a game of chance. Was he serving the Lord or was he keeping the grapes for himself? Let me tell you, it is so easy to keep the grapes. I mean, he was a Christian man. He was a good man. But it's easy to keep the grapes. Now we're not wicked, you know, in the sense of of the killing the son and the servants and such, but we are human, and we are far more capable of baptizing our own selfishness than we would like to admit. We're far more willing to withhold from the Lord, whether it be time or talent or treasure, whether it be trust or obedience or forgiveness. We are far more likely to be impressed with ourselves than to be humbled before the Lord. And if the moral of the story is don't be like the bad tenants, then the parable gets more and more uncomfortable the more and more honest we are about ourselves. And that hard coconut's gonna crack us on the head, too. And I gotta tell you, I'm at the front of the line. I'm at the front of the line. But lucky for us, Jesus did not just stop with the story. Lucky for us, Jesus threw in a Bible verse too. And at first blush, the the verse seems really unrelated to what he's just talked about. It's, It's a verse from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Some Translation say it is marvelous in our eyes, and it is this verse that cracks the hard shell and gives us the sweetness underneath. Now it might be a little hard to follow because Jesus mixes his metaphors. He might not have gotten a good job from his, a good grade from his English teacher, but but his point is this: the son who is killed by the wicked tenants in the parable is the stone that the builders rejected in the psalm. They threw him out. They tossed him aside as unworthy. And yet it was the act of rejection that qualifies this stone, this son, to become the cornerstone of our salvation. He is the bedrock. He is the foundation upon which we can stand. And I wonder if you can see the sweet invitation of grace underneath the hard shell of judgment. The landowner, the patient landowner, who almost naively gave these tenants chance after chance. This landowner has made his son, whom they rejected and killed, the very means of their acquittal. He has made them the the only way to escape the judgment that they had earned. The son that the tenants rejected has become the cornerstone. The gracious foundation upon which our whole new lives are built. He's including our eternal life. And this is the Lord's doing. We didn't do it. In fact, it's the very opposite of what we did. But the Lord did it for us and it is amazing. It's amazing. In fact, in the... Reading that Josh read from Philippians, St. Paul illustrates this very same grace with his own life. He was, before he met Christ, literally one of the tenants in Jesus' parable. He says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, so zealous was he for his work that he was a persecutor of the new Christian church. As to righteousness under the law, he says he was blameless. He was just like the priests and the elders who were listening to Jesus, but maybe more so, right? He was a prodigious success as a Pharisee. Straight A's all through his rabbinic training, so zealous and ambitious for his cause that he would look for Christians to haul off to jail and consented to their killing. But then Jesus appeared to him, right, on the road to Damascus. And the stone that he had rejected became his cornerstone. The Son of God that he had rejected became his Savior and Lord. And he says, I regard everything I had achieved as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish, as garbage, as things to be cast aside eagerly in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ. is the Lord's doing. And it's amazing. I don't know like, how you resonate this morning uh, with the tenants or with St. Paul or with the would-be senior warden. I personally resonate with all of them. Because we all want to keep the grapes for ourselves in some way. We all want to stand on our own two feet. But the gospel is this the son that we have rejected in big ways and in small ways, in audacious ways and in subtle ways, that he has himself become our very cornerstone. Because when Jesus hung on the cross, all of everything that separated us from him was placed on his shoulders, like a, like a funnel over him. Everything that we have ever done, everything that we ever will do. Because I don't know about you, but I'm still, doing, still finding stuff in my life. It was all placed on him, so that he would become the one we have rejected would become the very cornerstone, the means of our acquittal before God. So I don't know what you are withholding from the Lord this morning. What you have been, I don't know what you're prideful about. But I just want for you quietly before the Lord, or you can come and talk to me about it. I'd love love for you to do that. But let's just lay that at the feet of Jesus. This is why we have a confession every week, right? Let's lay that at the feet of Jesus, Christ, our cornerstone. For for knowing him is of surpassing worth, anything that we could uh, gain for ourselves. Christ is our outside Savior, the one whom the Father has sent, and he has become our cornerstone. Amen.